Hi friends, welcome to the By Faith Podcast. I'm your host, Christine Hoover, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week this season, I'm talking with a guest about a specific experience in their life, letting us step into their shoes so we can learn better how to love our brothers, sisters, family members, and neighbors. This episode is sponsored by The Good Book Company, publishers of If Only by Jenny Pollock. Life doesn't always go the way we hope it will. Whether it's singleness, childlessness, or some other big disappointment, it's hard to be content when life lets us down. Jenny Pollock knows what it's like to feel discontent. She walks readers through the process of taking our eyes off the things we wish we had and instead enjoying the character of the God we do have. Pick up a copy of If Only at thegoodbook.com or wherever good books are sold. Support for By Faith is provided by B&H Publishers, publisher of Rethink Yourself by Trevin Wax. We've all heard slogans or reposted graphics on Instagram that say things like, follow your heart, you do you, you are enough. But what if this path to personal happiness leads to a dead end? In Rethink Yourself, Trevin Wax encourages readers to rethink some of our society's most common assumptions about identity and the road to happiness in helpful, practical ways. Because it's only when we look up to learn who we were created to be that we discover our true purpose and become our truest self. Pick up this book wherever good books are sold. Today, my guest on By Faith is Elizabeth Woodson. Elizabeth serves on staff at the Village Church in Texas, and she joins me today to share her origin story. I am super fascinated by origin stories, meaning how did someone get where they are? How did God move them and fit the pieces of their interests and gifts with opportunities? Elizabeth shares today how God called her into ministry and how she developed the skill of teaching the Bible. She also shares how her singleness has been both a challenge and an opportunity for her in ministry. You'll also hear how God got her to where she is today. You're going to love meeting Elizabeth through this conversation. So here, friends, is my chat with Elizabeth Woodson. Welcome, Elizabeth, to Five Faith. I'm so glad to have you. Thank you, Christine. This is fun. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, well, I've been following you online a little bit um, for a while, and I just thought, okay. well, I want to talk to this girl. I want to know <laughs> how I love, I don't know about you, but I love origin stories. I love okay. to know how someone got where they are. Yeah. And so that's really, I just want to hear about that. But let's, before we get all to that, let's just, I'd love for you to introduce yourself and tell us about you. My name is Elizabeth Woodson, and I serve on staff at the Village Church in good old Dallas, Texas. And I am a minister in our institute, which means our institute is our arm of Christian education. And so I get to spend my days um, writing curriculum, teaching classes of Bible theology and spiritual formation, and developing leaders to do the same. And so it's a really, really sweet gift of a position. I get to work in my sweet spot. 95% 95% of the time, um, which is a, a huge privilege. And so I'm really thankful for the space the Lord's given me there to do the work I love. Are you originally from Texas, though? I am not. I am okay. Northern gal, <laughs> which pr- proves for some interesting moments when I'm down south. Um, and even the fact that I say that um, is always fun because people were like, what's wrong? I said, I'm not from Texas. And they're like, oh, that's why. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm wondering what your perspective. I grew up in Texas. So that's why I'm asking. I'm like, 
What's a northerner's perspective on Texas? It's pro- there's probably some stuff that you find very strange. I remember when I first moved down here because I moved to uh, Dallas from Chicago. I'm not originally from Chicago, but lived there for a couple of years before coming to Dallas. And there was all this green space. And I'm like, what's all this space for? Like, it's all spread out. I need you to be condensed. I need some more concrete. I love the city. And so this coming from the city to Dallas. Dallas is a big city. Um, a little different than Chicago. It took me a little getting used to. I remember people got nicer as I drove down from Chicago <laughs> to Dallas. <laughs> We're more friendly and um, willing to strike up a conversation with a stranger. And so I tell all my friends, who go up to Chicago from Dallas. I'm like, we're, we're not rude or mean. We just probably are not going to want to have a conversation with you if we don't know who you are. Um, so the same kind of hometown, everybody's family down here in Dallas, just don't do that when you go to Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, I live in Virginia now, which pe- that is the South, but it, where I live doesn't feel like the South. And so when we moved here, I started walking around trying to make eye contact with people to say hello <laughs> and no one would look me in the eye. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm in a different place. So I'm actually going to get to meet you in person if it happens, the Lifeway Women's Forum. And yes. we're both going to be there. I'm excited yes. to get to meet you. And, yeah, and what are you going to be teaching on there? I'm going to teach on how to develop millennial leaders, which is really at this point, millennial and Gen Xers. And just, yeah. I think, um, sometimes there's this generational gap in the church. And so you have an older generation who might be frustrated by a younger generation, which is usually the case all throughout time. And it's just, hey, these are really wonderful, high-powered leaders. How do we see them as the next generation of church leaders and um, develop them in that way? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you've got a generation of folks who graduated from high school or college in a pandemic, you know, so that how do you know yeah. and have empathy and care for and then mobilize to help them lead? So that's what we're talking about. So what generation do you fit in? Are you a millennial? I'm a millennial. I'm okay. like right on the cusp. Okay. <laughs> so you're speaking for your generation. I'm speaking for my generation. I get some of our harder points. <laughs> but I was like, hey, we got a lot of good stuff to offer. Totally. Totally. So tell us a little bit about, I would love to know more detail of what you do, where you are now, so that we can go backward and kind of move toward that point. So you talked about writing curriculum, raising leaders, teaching people to study the Bible. So what does your your work look like on a daily basis? Definitely. Um, Right now, we are in the beginning. uh, We're about to jump into our semester. We do semesters, um, classes at the village. And so my main space that I cover, we have a couple of different educational environments. We have just your regular Bible study that we do every semester, women and men's. We go through a book of the Bible. This semester, we're doing Psalms. And so you can actually join online. So if you want to be a part of it, it's I signed open up. to the public. Yay. Yes, I'm on it. I love it that y'all made it a more online thing. I mean, I, I love that you do local, but uh, yeah. we get to do it yeah. this time. And that's fun for us to get to be able to share some of our stuff with the folks kind of all around the globe. Um, and then I am responsible for, for what we call core classes. And so it's an introductory pathway to the story of the Bible to doctrine, kind of what do we believe as Christians, like really basic stuff. And then how are we formed? And so discipleship isn't a neutral process. And so how do we take this story of the Bible and these beliefs that we have from scripture and actually put them into practice every day? And so like, for instance, this semester, I'll teach Christian story, which is Genesis to Revelation. What is God doing? It's 11 weeks. We go fast. 
Um, and what's the big idea um, of scripture and how do we see that over and over and over again? So people understand the story because once you understand the story, you can live in it. Um, and then we're offering to our local folks. Christian Story is also open to anyone, anywhere. So you can sign up online. That's what I was going to uh, ask because yeah. I want to do that for sure. <laughs> yeah, come on. And then um, Christian Belief is just for our local folks. Hopefully one day we'll be able to offer it um, to all the, all the people. But it's basic Christian beliefs. Like, who is God? What, who are we as humanity? What's the purpose of the church? What's sin? What's salvation? We talk about all those things to help people have perspective for what we believe as Christians because there's a lot of stuff that we hear every day that sounds Christian-y that really isn't. And so how do we equip our people with some good, solid truth? So I spend my time teaching in those environments. All the curriculum for those environments are things that I have written. Um, so that's kind of what my day mostly looks like is managing those spaces, but also teaching and leading in those spaces. So, mm -hmm. so you're passionate about what? I'm passionate about people knowing what it means to follow Jesus. Okay. Yeah. And I think that really connects to my own story of not really understanding. I grew up in a Christian household, um, have wonderful parents. And I think as a kid, Jesus was just what we did because we were, my grandparents were Christian, just really grew up in a really rich Christian environment. Um, but what does it mean for me to have internalized what the gospel means, mm -hmm. what it means to be a Christian, how to live that out. Um, yes. And so have been on a hunt for really deep truth. Um, most of my adult life after graduating from college, how do I make my faith my own? And I think the Lord used that desire and a couple other ministry experiences to put me in a place where I love to help people answer that same question for themselves. That's so great. I, I'm right there with you. I grew up in a Christian home. I didn't understand the gospel till I was probably late twenties. Mm -hmm. And then in my thirties, it was understanding the big picture of the Bible. And that changed so oh, yeah. much for me when I started understanding primarily the old Testament. Cause I just had never been taught. I did not understand. Mm -hmm. and once I got that, it just, it basically blew my mind, you know, <laughs> it just oh, yeah. changed everything. <laughs> so I love what you're doing for sure. And I'm going to, I'm totally going to look at that that class. I might be joining you. But, um, I would love to go back though. You mentioned graduating from college, making your faith mm. your own. You, you didn't start out doing any of this, no. right? Where'd you no. start? Yeah. <laughs> I started a business and, um, so business is really my first love. I am a CPA. I still am one. I keep my license active. And, um, I went to college undergrad for that. I have a master's in accounting, um, CPA license. And I worked in nonprofit accounting for about 10 years. And I really do love it. I love the numbers. I love the Excel spreadsheet. I was a kid <laughs> who loved algebra. Um, and I appreciated being able to use what I love to help um, further the kingdom of God. And so I worked particularly for an organization in Chicago that provided medical care um, in an underserved community. And um, I was using what I love to be able to provide more um, roles on staff, more services for our clients. And so there was a direct connection to really helping um, be the light in a hard place through numbers and Excel spreadsheets. Um, but I was also involved in a church called Londo Community Church that was connected to the it was Londo Christian Health Center and Londo Community Church. This is a really rich and holistic vision for ministry in the Lawndale neighborhood in Chicago. And so I had an experience just teaching Sunday school at Londo Community Church. And they're like, hey, can you teach our singles? 
And I think they just asked me because I went to a Christian college. I was like, y'all don't know me. I could be a fool. <laughs> but they were gracious. And it turned out to be an amazing experience. Um, and we were, I was paired with um, a guy who went to seminary. And at that point, I had just graduated from college. Seminary was not on my mind. And he would come to class with all this really wonderful, rich knowledge. And he'd give me commentaries and I'd do my best. But I was like, man, there's something else that I need and I want to go deeper. And so I am single, was single at that point, and I'm big on adventures. And so I felt like the Lord was like, hey, you need to know more. And I don't have any attachment to the city. Um, my parents live in Indianapolis, and so I can take an adventure and quit my job and sell my stuff and move down to Dallas, Texas to go to Dallas Theological Seminary. And that's exactly what I did in 2010. Um, the plan was to come down to Dallas. I was still an accountant. I worked as an accountant at Dallas Theological Seminary for about 10 for about four years. Uh -huh. um, and the goal was to get my training and to go back to Chicago and the Lord had a different plan. Mm. And so about four years in to my time at DTS, it took me about seven years to finish. Um, I came on staff at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. It was a church I was going to, a church I was serving at, had interned at, leading their singles ministry, um, which I had a little bit of a taste of in Chicago. And um, I was like, hey, I can always find a job as an accountant. Let me see if this ministry thing is for me. And that was about six years ago. Um, and so I fell in love with just doing life with people, helping them understand deep truth. I think even as an accountant, I love educating and helping and coming alongside. Um, and so singles ministry was vibrant. It's a little crazy in there. <laughs> um, but how do you help people who are in a hard life season for many of them? find joy and vibrancy in the world. Um, and then after that, doing that for about three years, um, I figured out that, man, I love teaching and I want to work on my craft and I want an opportunity to teach more and to produce more content. And so just in a whim, applied for a job at the Village Church and they decided that they wanted to let me join their team. And so um, that's where I'm at now and what I'm doing. And so that's it's kind of tell people it, was up, it wasn't on the list to be on the list, to be on the list uh -huh. when I was graduating from college and the Lord had a different path. And I'm grateful um, for what he had for me because it's uh -huh. just, it's been an amazing journey. That's great. Well, Oak Cliff is in the same, I know they're very far apart, but where mm -hmm. the village is and where Oak Cliff is, but I'm wondering yeah. how, how do you, do you still maintain some fellowship with, with both? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hard. Yeah. Yeah, I think for your listeners, Oak Cliff is a predominantly African-American church um, with the pastor, Dr. Tony Evans, who one of the best Bible expositors of our generation. So yes. If you've not heard him, look him up. Um, and so the Village Church is predominantly white. And so it has been a journey. It has been some good points and some harder points, I think, in that I work with really great people who are, you work in relationship. And so you grow together with people but I definitely keep relationships with my folks down at Oak Cliff um, and pop down there every so often just to see and hang out um, because they are still a really big part of my life. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'd like to go back to when you made that jump, when you decided, mm -hmm. okay, you know, you kept your accounting job, but I'm going to go to seminary. I'm going to pursue this. Were, were there people in your life who encouraged that in you or who spoke a word to you that, that really stands out to you? Yeah. Like, yeah. I remember my internship coordinator who really kind of was this mentor like role in my life. Um, and he worked on staff at Oak Cliff and he kind of had walked with me and cared for me during my internship. Um, and he's, he's the one who told me to apply. 
And because it wasn't just on my radar, because I had wanted to come through the door of women's ministry, because I thought, hey, I'm a woman, that that's where I belong. Um, and so there were no women's ministry jobs. And so my eyes weren't even looking for this job. And he's like, hey, you need to apply for it. It's a great opportunity. Um, even if you only do it for a year, like you have it on your resume. And it really is like, take this risk. It's going to be worth it. And so I think to have people, you know, I had my parents, um, I had some close friends um, who knew what I wanted to do and knew that I was in a good space at a good church and really ministry opportunities don't always come around easily. And mm -hmm. so it's like, Hey, here's, here's an opportunity you have. And, and I'm also a big um, proponent of just taking calculated risks in life um, that I'd rather be a person who does it and doesn't do it well than to sit around wondering what life would have been like if I had taken that opportunity. Yeah. Um, I remember saying that to myself all the time before I came to Dallas. Like, I'd rather go, and this DTS thing is a miserable failure, <laughs> and sit at my desk here in Chicago and wonder what it would have been like if I had gone to DTS. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just had, in particular, my internship coordinator, who just said, you can do this, you need to do this, um, and kind of sparked this fire in me for, I said, I want to do ministry. Let me just give this a try. Um, and some of the best advice, obviously, that I, I took because haven't turned back. So what was the scariest part of that transition for you? I'm thinking of our listeners who are like, I kind of want to step out and do this, but I don't know. I'm scared. You know, um, ministry money is different than <laughs> corporate money. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yep. And so I think that's just the, the obvious one. Uh, so a lot of people think about is uh, working for a church is different financially than if you're working in industry. Um, if you've got a corporate job or a job with a little bit more stability, um, especially if it's a smaller church. Um, and so the Lord has always provided, like always provided. Um, and there have been some lean years, but the Lord provided in those spaces and I look back on them with a lot of laughter from friends that I went through those lean years with um, about how in the most unexpected places the Lord came through. Um, and so I just always think that life has its always has its difficult points. And so whatever season you're going to be in, there's going to be difficult places mm -hmm. and the Lord will show up in that. So that's the most obvious one is the finances. I get it when I talk to my friends. They're like, hey, yeah, I like that. But... <laughs> Um, and if it's a place that it has for you, then that's where you need to be at. Um, and then we hold on to our comforts um, and miss something really rich. Again, I'm glad I took the risk. Yeah. Um, I think the next one is just what does it mean to be a woman in ministry mm -hmm. and to be in an environment um, that's not always the easiest place for women to be. And so some of us come out of places where you've got a lot of freedom and you've got a lot of um, people are saying, go do this, believe in you. Like, they're believing in you and you come to the church and sometimes you don't hear that voice as strongly. Um, and that can be a shock to some women um, because they're like, Hey, we all love Jesus and we're all here together. And um, theological beliefs matter. Um, and so I always encourage women to search the scriptures, to study for yourself. And what do you believe about women in ministry and whatever space you land in, that you are able to have a convictional belief in that and that will help you in some of those spaces, whether it's from your congregants or whether it's from just even coworkers um, that you know that what God has called you to and you feel confidence in that as other people are learning how to love you well in that space. Mm -hmm. And so that can be a little difficult for women is feeling more constrained in the church than maybe they would feel 
in a non-church environment. Um, and that's mm-hmm. just being honest and yeah. transparent. Um, and I've had a lot of good relationships with brothers in the church. And so I'm thankful for them. But I've also had other situations, which just been hard. Um, but know what God has called you to, that's what you're responsible for. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not responsible for other people's opinions. You're responsible for what the Lord has put on your heart in a convictional manner that honors him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, yeah, I think it is sometimes the ministry is just a different pace um, than the um, outside ministry. And so just learning to deal with people. Um, and people are the hardest and um, most joyous part of ministry. And so right. I have really great memories of just, just getting to know people and walk alongside them and see the Lord um, free them from things, walk through them with some really hard seasons, rejoice with them when God provides redemption, um, and just the joyous moments of life. I've also been a part of some really hard conversations, um, ways in which, man, I wish you would have just said that a little differently um, to me. and getting used to that um, and being a person who loves regardless. Sometimes love brings hard truth, um, but love is consistent and love seeks the best and the flourishing for people, even when they're not seeking that for you. And so that can be a little hard for folks because you realize, Oh, we're not that much different (laughs) than Uh people outside the church. Um, Uh, And uh, it's still, it's still beautiful. It's -hmm. still an opportunity to see life transformation and change. Um, I would encourage people to have appropriate expectations of themselves and of their church members and their leadership. We're all human and all doing our best. Um, And so no one deserves to be put on a pedestal and no one's perfect. And um, for us to give ourselves that grace and give other people that grace and know the Holy Spirit is the one that changes people. We don't. Mm -hmm. We just provide environments for change and the Holy Spirit does the transforming work in their hearts. So those are kind of the three for me. The money the woman in ministry issue and then just people um, and how you navigate doing life with real folks every day. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about the women in ministry thing a little bit more. <laughs> First, I want to talk about, you mentioned um, knowing for sure what God had called you to do. So when you went to seminary, did you know where, where you wanted to end up or did you just know the next step that you needed? To- uh, I, it was for me when I started, it was the next step. Yeah. Um, because I came in from this environment of teaching Sunday school. It's like, I just want to know how to help people learn. Um, and so it was like this Christian education route. How do you produce curriculum and content and ministry programming? So there was some desire for me to just even know those aspects. Or I, Part of the reason I came to DTS is because DTS, um, you go through all books of the Bible. And I just wanted to go through it all. Um, and then I took a, a teaching class. And I realized... I really enjoy this. Like I show up with my stuff done every time. Christina, I wish I could say I was the best student. I was a, I was a present student who was very passionate, <laughs> but I also worked full time. Yeah, um, that's challenging. And, but this teaching class was different. And I realized, man, I'm good at this. And what I'm saying is coming across to people in a really effective way. And I think it was at that point. I was like, I, I want to teach. Like, I want to be in a place where I can really do this. Um, and before then, it was cultivating, you know, these small group discussions and teaching in that context, which is still really great. I love doing that. But it was taking the classes that helped me see what I was good at and where I needed to kind of put my time and thought. And then just doing an internship, just getting in the field. You can take classes all day long. 
Um, but doing the work helps you see, oh, I like this. Yeah. I don't like this. I'm good at this. I should never do this again. Um, and that's just getting your feet wet and figuring out what works for you. Yeah. And I hope the listener hears that of just taking one step forward, learning. You're going to, there's going to be some things you're not good at, you don't love, but there are some things you do. And so you keep taking a step forward and, and eventually God really just directs you through yeah. that to where he wants yeah. you. So I'm wondering as you're realizing this, you're, you're saying, I love, I love teaching and I want to do that. But then you also said when you entered ministry, you kind of had this idea of it has to be women's ministry. So I'm wondering how that came together and how you reconciled or how you worked through what are the opportunities that I have as a woman, a woman in ministry, if I don't necessarily feel called to women's ministry, how do I, how do I do that? Right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's part of the reason for me that I thought it was women's ministry is because that's all I saw women doing. Yes. Um, and so you think that this is the only door and the Lord put me in singles ministry and I led mixed gendered ministry, um, which was, uh, it just, it never occurred to me. Um, and so I think you go where your giftings fit. And so never feel bad for being the person who doesn't want to do women's ministry or doesn't want to do children's ministry. There are people, men and men who love children's ministry women who love women's ministry. Maybe what you want to do is more small groups and discipleship. Maybe what you want to do um, is more, um, maybe a different type of age group or demographic, or maybe it is teaching or curriculum producing, um, or maybe it is in ministry services. There's a lot of different opportunities that are not front-facing that we ministry front-facing folks need, cannot do ministry without. Um, and so there's place for all sorts of giftings inside the church. But to me, it is to... I think it's this hard place between this is what I want to do and this is what I'm gifted in and this is what's available at my church or the opportunities I'm seeing on job boards if I'm trying to apply for something. And so there's this place of faith that's in between. Um, I started, I would have not picked singles ministry. Like I was like, hey, this is check one. We completed step one in my master plan. Step two is this. It's just that you do what's in front of you. Um, and so I think you try your best to pair yourself with roles that work directly with your interests, work directly with what you're skilled in. Um, whether some of those roles are traditionally have been filled by men. I was the first woman in the role of singles um, minister, so to speak, at Oak Cliff. Um, for that long period of time. And so there wasn't a woman I could look to who had been in that place before me um, so for me to figure out what it would be like to serve in that role as a woman. So just because you've never seen a woman do it doesn't mean you can't do it. But also now, a lot of women come through roles, and this is part of the women in ministry conversation. Um, you might start in a role that you particularly is not 100% of what you want to do, mm -hmm. but it's what God has set out for you. Um, the door of opportunity leads so many different places. And so to give God the space to get you somewhere in a way you cannot understand or have planned out on your own. Um, but be willing to go for roles that fit your gifting and your skill set, um, even if it's not a traditional woman's role in the church. Mm -hmm. That's good. I, I, I'm glad that it seems like churches are opening more and more roles 
for women. And I know the village church has taken a lot of lead in this of saying, if it's, if it's, if it's something that we just traditionally have given to a man, because we haven't Mm -hmm. even thought of a woman, then let's think of a woman and let's, let's consider if, if something like that could be filled by a woman. I love that. I'm really thankful for the way y'all are leading out in that. Uh, I'm also wondering for women who are, um, they see you or they hear, they're hearing you and your role that you're in. And a lot of women think, I want to do that. I want to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. I want to teach God's word. Or for me, you know, people ask me, how did you get started writing? How, how do you, mm-hmm. Elizabeth, how did you get started writing curriculum? And they want to, they want to do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I'd love for you to speak to them of what, what would you say to women who want, especially let's go with teach the Bible. Mm-hmm. I think take the small opportunities. I think a lot of women see, you know, hey, where I'm at now. They say, hey, how can I do this now? Mm -hmm. Um, But they don't know about the time in which I was sitting in a room full of 20 folks from ages 16 to like 60 trying to teach small group Bible study. Um, They didn't see the years in which I was at DTS teaching um, a small group to um, and writing my own curriculum. So writing, basically writing my own Bible study for these three or four seminary students who would gladly tell me when I asked them bad questions um, <laughs> for the study. Um, and so I think the first thing I take is take the opportunity that's right in front of you. There's always an opportunity. And sometimes it's in your living room with a couple of friends to teach. Just teach wherever you can get an opportunity to teach. Um, a lot of women that I would work with at Oak Cliff would teach at the women's shelter in Dallas, like teach at places where they are wanting and hungry for people to teach them the word, but might not look like glamorous or the space that you want. Um, because God uses the unexpected to get you where you need to go. And so I think that's the big thing. It's like, just take that next opportunity that's in front of you, whether it is, um, if it's a bunch of moms, or at your school, it's a PTA, like it is your neighbors, like learn teaching, you become a better teacher by teaching. Yes. So the more reps you can get, whomever it is, even if it's every night after dinner, the family's going to hear you teach. <laughs> I would do that. Like I, when I was working at staff at Lawndale, we would do the staff devotional. I had a staff about five people and every week they would get this devotional from me that in my mind was helping me practice learn how to teach yes. the Bible. Yeah. Um, so first one is take the opportunities, no matter how small they are. Um, you can't teach what you don't know. And so teachers do these really deep dives. And so I spend, if you saw my, the fullness of my office right now, you would see a bunch of books, you would see commentaries um, and you spend a lot of time studying and you spend a lot of time submitting yourself to the knowledge of God's word and letting it form you and transform you. Teaching the word is a really heavy weight. Um, you get up and you want to help people understand what the triune God has said to us. Um, and that is not something that I take lightly at all because your words can stir people to faithfulness or your words, if placed wrongly, can stir people, move people away from the word. Um, and so I think be a woman who studies like you, that's where the, the, the good stuff comes from. And I think you as a writer, Christina probably say the same is you learn so much, but you can only share the nuggets with people. Um, and so there's so many times you want to share all the good things, but you just don't have the time to do that. But be a woman who studies and knows a discipline of studying and knows that if you want to teach, you kind of lead a different life 
um, in terms of you're not out doing all the things all the time. You're studying in your word, you're studying in books that help you understand all the supplementary material so that you can teach well. Um, and then listen to other teachers. Teaching is an art. There is structure to it, um, and there's structure for a reason so that people can hear and learn from what you're saying. And so learn to teach. If there's not someone there to teach you, there are really great books, and there are really great people who teach every week and are streaming their services for the whole world to see. Listen to them um, and model yourself after the ones that are really good, clear, and effective with expositing the Word of God. So those are my kind of tips. Of, usually it's just get in there and do it right where you're at. Yes. And I love that because for me, writing and teaching in unseen, what I would consider unseen ways, mm-hmm. that's where God did the work in me of refining my motives for why I was doing what I was doing. Because I would get frustrated that it was very unseen or it was small, it was mm-hmm. unglamorous, as you said. But that's where God refined me me and taught me Mm -hmm. the reasons why I should pursue this, not just because I want to do it. Right. Exactly. So are there any other, you mentioned a few challenges that you, or rewards of teaching, but is there anything else you would say, you know, help us step in your shoes as a Bible teacher? What are some (laughs) of the, the hidden things we might not see of both the reward and the challenge of it? Um, I think the challenge is people put you on a pedestal. Um, and so they, it's kind of this, um, you step into this place that people think they separate themselves from you. Like, hey, Elizabeth's not like me. Elizabeth doesn't struggle with stuff. Elizabeth doesn't. And it become, it can become, um, it can become hard and heavy and weighty. I think anyone in the church probably who works in a church would deal with this is, um, people don't hold the same humanity expectations for you that they hold for themselves. Um, and so it can be lonely. Um, and that's not me making a call out on the podcast, <laughs> you know, subtweeting anyone, but I think what it means for you to learn to have, um, how do you find community as a Bible teacher in the church? Um, and what it means to find community with other people who understand that journey specifically. And so that has been, I don't want to, it's probably in the middle of a blessing and reward. It just is like, Hey, I have to find people who understand the dynamic that I walk with. Um, because you can't, you, there's a transparency that's appropriate. And then there's just things you can't say from the front. Um, because again, people are moving forward or back in their faith based upon what you say. And so you need to have a space where you can just be you and it doesn't bother anybody in the room. Um, and I think that can be a hard thing for some people if you don't know that and don't have those boundaries set up for yourself and have that community set up for yourself and people who will keep your head small (laughs) Um, and tell you, Hey, I remember you from back in the day and you're not (laughs) as hot as you think you are. (laughs) Um, And so you need that. I think the biggest one is humility is the Lord speaks through you. Like it's not you. I always tell people, anything good you hear me say is Jesus. All the other raggediness, that's me. Um, And for you to remember that, that you, the Lord is doing the work. And like you said, as he forms you in those quiet spaces that you get the privilege of honoring him through this, but what you do is no more valuable than anybody else. What I do is no more valuable than the guy who's taping me on the camera because we are all doing the work of ministry. And so I think the hard part can be forgetting that humility piece and people make it difficult because people want to put all that on you and you have to constantly throw it off 
And if you don't, things get wonky really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would tell people that like there's the only glory belongs to the Lord. People will ascribe glory to you and you have to throw it right off. Um, all the glory belongs to God. That's good. Well, let's switch gears and talk about singleness because you, you mentioned earlier that you are single and I would love to know how that flavors your ministry. What, what are the rewards and challenges of being single in church ministry? Uh, as a Bible teacher, I talk about singleness all the time. Which is um, great. I love that. Because <laughs> we just usually don't get any airtime. Um, most ministry folks are married with a couple of kiddos. And so uh, single kids who, single folks who have no children or with children, um, sometimes just don't hear ourselves from the front. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it, it helps me, um, gives me compassion for the people who just get overlooked um, in just the church period. So there's a lot of just demographics that just don't make it to the front for one reason or another. And so I just have a lot of compassion for my single folks um, for what it means to be part of family. And so if you don't have a nuclear family or you're in a place where your immediate family isn't located, especially in the season of COVID, you can feel your singleness really strongly. Um, And the church is still figuring out how to minister to our singles well and really to not glorify marriage, nor glorify singleness, but glorify discipleship, and and that that's the goal for everything. And so I get when people, singles feel like, hey, I'm a JV. Like my life hasn't started yet. I always make a point, especially when I'm talking to single women, um, to communicate that your life is now. That that it's not gonna start when you get married, that who you are now is who you will be when you get married. And so um, if there's some stuff you need to work on, I would suggest you work on some of that stuff right now. Um, But it is this place of what does it mean for me to be a part of the family of God? And that in church, no one should feel lonely um, because they should always have a place to belong. Mm -hmm. And um, as a single person, I always try to push that message to the front um, and um, try to push a message of your singleness is a beautiful blessing because you have freedom and you have independence and you can do all the things um, without limitation because it's just you. And so I think in ministry, um, it has provided me the opportunity to really just be free to be present with people, um, to be able to linger longer because there's no one that I have to go home to um, that's waiting for me. Um, it's enabled me to, I think, to see people better, um, to enter again into those hard spaces with them because I know what it is to be overlooked. I know what it is to feel like I don't belong. Um, and I know what it is to fight, to find joy and contentment in a place that I'm told a lot um, subliminally that I shouldn't have joy and contentment in. Hmm. Um, and that to be, to be in a place where I, I um, approach my relationship with the Lord, that is, this is the, the place you have for me until um, you return and you take me home, that I will be okay. That, um, that there is joy here, that there's vibrancy here, um, and I'm no less able to engage in the beauties of the things of God because I'm single. And so I think I, the Lord has formed me in that um, and given me like this really deep grounding that is able for me to pour out into ministry, but he also just allows me to see those who man struggle in those places and really I talk about it in all the time. People are probably tired of my single person illustrations. Cause like, I know you're not going to hear this anywhere else. 
So you're going to hear it when Elizabeth is up and talks. Um, so you can see, oh, somebody else has a situation like mine and they're doing well, I can do well too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to encourage, but also the Lord has formed me deeply mm-hmm. in this season as well. I love that you bring it into your, into your teaching. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, is, does that ever feel like a weight that you're kind of the voice for, or maybe you don't feel that you're the, vo- the vo- sole voice for singleness in your church, but do you feel that weight sometimes of speaking not only to the listeners, but to your colleagues and pressing that so that they remember, oh, don't forget about our single brothers and sisters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you do. You're like, here I go again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and a lot of times I'll just look in a room, and especially if it's a leadership deal, I am the only single person in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have learned to, in those moments of being uncomfortable, I think that just goes for just what does it mean to speak up? Um, when you realize that you're going to say something that no one else ever might be thinking about, or it might irritate the people because it feels repetitive, is that there are people with names and faces that rely on you as a leader to advocate for them. And so silence doesn't help anybody but me, and it keeps me comfortable. But there are people who need their pastor to remember mm-hmm. that singleness, we need to talk about that in COVID. Like we need to talk about how our single folks Um, are doing and how they can be mobilized to um, understand discipleship and family and a whole new concept now. Um, And I'm the only person in the room, then I'm the person that needs to say it. Because if I don't say it, it doesn't get said sometimes. Um, And so I think that they're, I'm just really passionate about it. Probably have a little bit of spice in me too, um, because I know just of how off balance the conversation is. So sometimes I like bring it up a little bit, knowing you can stir the pot in a, in a way that glorifies the Lord. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's the northerner spice in me. Um, I love it's like, spice. hey. I love it. <laughs> and I know all of our single sisters out there are like, yes, someone's speaking up for us. I love it. Well, I'd love to maybe think on a personal level for, for singleness. Is there, or I guess it could be with church leadership too. Uh, is there anything that you wish people would ask you about singleness? And then would you answer that question for us? Sure. I think I would wish people would ask me why I find joy in my singleness. Um, And I would tell them it's because I believe that there's the same amount of joy in life to be found in singleness and marriage. Like if you just saw it as two jars, the capacity levels are the same. They just come from different places. And so I think I've learned that usually we might enter a different season thinking, okay, all of what I was sad about will be fixed now. And what you don't realize is you get a whole new set of hard and good in each season that you're in. And so our goal as believers is not to look for a new season to get rid of the things that are hard, but to learn how to deal with the hard things so that I'm able to navigate them in any place in my head. Like it doesn't get, the grass is greener on the other side because people water it. Like that's why it's green. It's not green because it's better. Um, And so like I've just really leaned into the benefits and leaned into the freedoms and leaned into, like that's the reason why I could come down to Dallas Theological Seminary mm-hmm. um, because I'm getting in a car by myself. I don't have to ask an entire family to come with me. And sometimes that happens. Um, but it just really is, what does it mean to live life with the Lord um, and to embrace the difficulties and embrace the good points to realize he's good all over um, and how do I live the season well? And so to me, it's in a, in a place where a lot of singles are known for being um, swiping um, or, you know, 
there's nothing wrong with online dating, but it, the, the, the narrative can be desperation. I think especially for women in a place where we're told our value is found in being a wife and a mother, and you don't have either of those things, um, then where is your value found? And it's in being creating the image of God and setting out on fulfilling what he has set out for me here to do on earth and knowing that in the moments that are hard, because there are hard moments in singleness, he meets me there. Because in the moments that are hard in marriage, if I ever get married, he'll meet me there too. Um, and so to me, that's one thing that I wish I could talk about more because I just think more people need to talk about just where do we find joy in life um, and how do you find joy in places that you may or may not want to be? Um, and yeah, how do we live well with the Lord? That really was good. What you said about not trying to get to a new season to get rid of the hard, but dealing with the hard so you can face any season. Mm -hmm. That's a good nugget for anybody, no matter what season they're in right now. Thank you for sharing that. Well, I think just a closing question, I'm thinking for our single sisters that are listening and they're, they're listening to you and they're like, wow, I, I know what the Lord is calling me to do. I'm, I'm not, I've been fearful to step out. I see an opportunity in my church and I want to help meet that. What advice would you give to them about stepping out and pursuing, whether it's vocational ministry and going to seminary or it's a volunteer, you know, teaching role or whatever role in their church, what advice would you give them? I would tell them, take the jump and do it, sister. <laughs> um, and that's part of the reason that some of the things I talked about before, if you go to seminary for a year and it doesn't work out, you have a year of learning the Bible in depth underneath your belt. There's no harm in that. You do not need a seminary degree to be an effective minister of the gospel. It is useful. It is helpful. But there are plenty of people um, who do not have one. It just is a structured place to do the work. And so the Lord can help you find other places to do the work. If that doesn't work out financially or with what you got going on. But if you do something and it doesn't work out, it's okay. And so I think for a lot of people, they just don't want to do it because they, we want perfection from the jump. Um, if there's an opportunity to serve, serve because you will learn what kind of gifts and talents you have by serving. You will learn where you belong and where you flourish and where you don't. Um, if you go to seminary, you will see very quickly or just take one class. There are a mm -hmm. lot of places you can take a preview class. You can take a class for free online to just go and see, is this what I like? And if you don't, that's fine. And if you do, then push into the work. But my best advice would be if you, if you feel a calling towards ministry, and that's being confirmed by the people around you, whether that is volunteering in your church. We all should be volunteering in our church, but you want like a leadership position um, or you want to take the step to go to seminary, jump into both and trust that the Lord will keep you and he will give you wisdom in it. But a lot of times you can't make that decision from the sidelines. You got to jump into the water, got to start walking around and seeing what it is on the inside, and then you'll be able to make a better decision. Um, but I'm all for taking the risk and having the Lord meet you on the other side. Yeah. So much wisdom, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I just, I hope that everyone listening to this will take some time to consider what is the Lord moving them toward whatever, mm -hmm. in whatever way, whatever season they're in, you've encouraged us to trust him and move forward. So thank you for sharing with us today. Yeah, no, this has been fun. Thank you for having me. 
I signed up for Elizabeth's class, The Christian Story, as soon as we got done with our conversation, and it's been phenomenal so far. The deadline for this semester has already passed, but I'm sure that the Village Church Institute will offer it again next semester, and I highly recommend the class. I've linked to all of their classes in the show notes, so go check that out. Friends, join me next week as I chat with Abby Wedgworth. Abby is mom to two little boys and one on the way, and she's written a new book called Held, which is a 31-day devotional about miscarriage and pregnancy loss. Abby and her husband lost a baby in the womb, and she wanted to write a resource that women could use to help process their emotions and pain through the truth of Scripture. In our conversation, Abby tells her own personal story of loss and what she's learned through it, and it is so full of wisdom, you're not going to want to miss it. So until then, friends, have a great week and keep walking forward by faith.